Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. My name is Kevin Senapati-Ratna and I'm glad you could join us today. My guest today is Melissa D'Arabian and she is known for being the next Food Network star uh, season five winner. And out of that, she got her own show, which was called $10 Dinners. And then there was cookbooks uh, that came out with that. Then she's a guest judge on, uh, or well, regular judge on Guy's Grocery Games, which I enjoyed that show. Uh, but you know, she's been on Chopped, things like that. So if you're in the Food uh, Network scene and those kind of uh, shows, you probably run across her. But her latest book, is called Tasting Grace, and in it she not only tells her story of kind of her journey, what kind of behind the scenes of personally some of the tragedy that hit her life and how that impacted her and her own walk with God, but also uh, takes a look at food from a different perspective of how... uh, we can use food to help us on our walk with Jesus, how we can grow in our relationship with God as a result of that. And so we have a, a really fun conversation uh, where we even get into talking about the spirituality uh, of cutting carrots. So you don't want to stick through the end uh, for that one. Uh, so without further ado, my conversation with Melissa D'Arabian. All right, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a uh, Fun to uh, sit down with you, and after, uh, well, to be honest, I'm the guy's grocery game judge. You're that's that's our <laughs> that's where I know you from most. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I, I, my my wife's the Food Network person, so by having uh, you on, I'm like I'm winning points at the at, at the home front. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> I know that's, that's only partially true. Uh, you know what, the points where you can get them, right? That's, that's right. All right. Well, I thought uh, we'll get to the book in a second, but just as a, a, a kind of a softball warm-up question for you here. Okay. So, so suppose you're talking, hypothetically speaking, you were talking to a 43-year-old guy uh, who <laughs> is not a very good cook. Uh, who has tried multiple times. Now, this may be confession. This may be a hypothetical person, but... uh, uh, It's really a mystery which one it is. Right. And and so if... And he's he's tried multiple times to learn over, you know, his lifetime, but doesn't seem to get the the knack. He's got like two or three dishes. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where would you recommend he uh, start to take it to the next level? Okay, well, I would start at those two or three dishes. What are the two or three dishes, hypothetically speaking? <laughs> uh, like scrambled eggs and spaghetti. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Okay, so now I know what we're up against. Okay, well, um, in that case, I would say start by taking those scrambled eggs to another level by adding in fresh herbs. Add in fresh herbs, and then also you could try sauteing up something like mushrooms or something to add in to your scrambled eggs to make it a little bit fancier. Um, On your spaghetti front, for your hypothetical friend, uh, my suggestion would be to try to roast up some vegetables um, just on a sheet pan, toss some vegetables, chop up some cauliflower, please great, 
toss it with a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, roast until they're tender, you know, 400 degrees, anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes, depending on the vegetable. And then take that and pour it into the pasta and mix it in. So now you're just taking two dishes that you or your hypothetical friend <laughs> already knows, and you're taking them to the next level. All right. Uh, although now, now by keeping it hypothetical, if it doesn't happen, then I'm, <laughs> I'm in the free and clear, right? All right. Totally. <laughs> Totally, this is all hypothetical. All right. So, so keeping it on the fun vein to get started, because we, uh, I mean, your book has a lot of deep stuff that we want to go to. Uh, uh, but uh, you said you worked on a cruise ship for a while. Uh, wait, what was uh, first? Kind of, what was that like? What is that something you enjoyed that uh, season? Uh, did you? Uh, kind of? Yeah, was it? Maybe you didn't really explain what your job was on there. Was a uh, what was cruise life for you? Well, yeah, I worked on a cruise ship between college and graduate school, um, and I loved it. It was super fun. I started out as a purser, and then I ended up in uh, um, in entertainment. Um, and so I called bingo. I sang in shows. I um, was a Greek dancer, like I did all these different things. But uh, for the most part, um, like when you go on to a cruise ship and you take a cruise, you know, you've got a staff that calls bingo, does the, you know, does all the entertainment. Um, and that's what I did. I loved it. I thought it was great. I, um, I had just lost my mom a year before. So it was a kind of a way to take a break before I went to graduate school. And I mean, it fit the bill great. I traveled the world. I got to go to Egypt and Israel and, and Turkey and Greece and the Caribbean and Mexico. So, so um, it was a really, um, really fun way to spend um, a little over a year. That does sound fun. <laughs> it was fun. I loved it. I loved it. Cruise life. I, I mean, even to this day, I love cruises. So um, I, I take cruises with my family. So I love it. I, yeah. So you're you're known uh, your your kind of big break was the Food, Net, Food Network star that was kind of mm-hmm. uh, I, I, we may come back to the your time on the soap opera and the dating game but oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh, we can we can uh, we can let some things just go <laughs> well you, you, you put it in the book I don't know maybe there's uh, some need to express yourself in that uh, but. Uh, when you talk about that season, you say, uh, and this is my, my ministry is a ministry of prayer. That's kind of uh, the basis for what we're doing. So you talk about uh, prayers of gratitude being one of the things that got you through uh, that whole kind of crazy ordeal. Um, and one of the, and you actually, it sounds like you wrote out your prayers. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I had a book and I, I wrote every night. During Food Network Star, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I had a book. We weren't allowed to have any books with us. So I, I had a notebook, and so I would just write out my uh, my prayers every night. Uh, one of the themes of the show has been uh, kind of that journaling uh, process. Uh, <laughs> uh, was there a, a specific way you went about it, or just kind of whatever was on your heart you wrote out in a prayer form, or uh, how did that look yeah, for you? I, I, really, I, it wasn't anything fancy at all. I just uh, had a notebook that um, – that we were given actually, I think, to like, like explore recipe ideas or to brainstorm or whatever. But I use my little brainstorming um, 
uh, my little brainstorming notebook for uh, for prayers. Very cool. Uh, is that something you still do, or is that just kind of that season of time that you use that method? Well, I use. I mean, I like to to write, um, you know, to process really anything. Um, but I don't keep an actual prayer book, but I do journal, and in that will be will be prayers. Um, but I think that people don't have to be fancy about it. You just, you know, just a um, any, anything can be a prayer, right? I think that God is open to all of that. Uh, there is something magical about there's something magical about writing things down um, that helps us process. So um, that's just been part of the way I process things is to write it down. Very cool. Well, if you if you saw it over here in the corner, there's all piles of my things that I've written in journals over the years. So <laughs> I, I get that. <clears throat> also, during that uh, season, you you said you got through it in part by I cooked for the. The, this audience of one uh, rather than uh, uh, could you ex- talk a little bit more about what that was for you and what that meant yeah well when I was in Food Network Star there was just a, a competition cooking show has a lot of moving parts you know there's the lights and there's cameras and there's the competition and there's you know you've got to cook and you're under a deadline and you emotionally are fragile because you so want to do well. And you, um, and in this case, at the end of it, there was a dream job. So you really want it. So there's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts and it's um, really chaotic and stressful. And for me, um, I needed to, in the midst of that vortex, I needed to fix my eyes on something that was solid and sure and like a rock kind of like how when you are you know car sick they say look at the horizon you know you need to get past all the stuff that's moving to fix your eyes on something that is more sure and more steady more stable for me that was god so for me food network star in that whirlwind forced me to decide am i going to get sucked into it or am i going to fix my eyes and for me, I fixed my eyes on God. So it, it really became my mantra was just get to the ingredients, just get to the food. I'll see God in the ingredients. And the, you know, the one thing I could count on was that Food Network would, the culinary team would have a lot of really good ingredients. There was always really good stuff. Like it was never yucky. It was always really good. And so I would go to these ingredients and I would just see, you know, the, you know, the brightest color produce that you could imagine, um, just really nice, you know, fresh, fragrant herbs. It was like God's bounty on display in these kitchens. So I would say, just just get to the ingredients. God's in the ingredients. And so I would get to those ingredients and I would cook really just for God to continue his handiwork and his beauty. So um, that's what I meant by an audience, an audience of one was just get to those ingredients and find God there. And your, your new book is Tasting Grace, <clears throat> how food invites us into deeper connection with God, one another, and ourselves. Uh, you, your previous books were uh, cookbooks. So uh, was there a reason that you felt to make a shift to write something like this? Well, yes. Um, you know, I've been in the food space for now 10 years. Um, and I've written cookbooks and 
you know, wrote um, an Associated Press food article for, you know, a col weekly column for years. So creating recipes has been a big part of my work. Um, and so working in the food space, um, I started having a sense that what the food space is talking about in food is perhaps line the um, the the reason why God created food, and and I started getting the sense that maybe we might be missing out on some of the beauty of food and some of the joy in food. Um, so I. I thought, well, let me let me look and see what is what does God say about food, and it turns out God has a lot to say about food, um, and you know a lot of the stories I, um, you know, I knew, you know, with the, you know, manna for the you know Israelites when they when they leave Egypt, Egypt, and they're grumbling and complaining about, you know, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt, at least we'd be eating well, and um, you know, even to these grumbling, complaining Israelites, what does God do? He gives them free food. He gives them manna. And and one thing I hadn't really noticed um, until I deliberate, deliberately went back and uh, reviewed it, the manna So what does that say about our God? It says that he is generous, and he's generous through food. It also tells me that he knows that we have palates that like sweet things, and he wants us to delight. So looking over um, throughout the Bible, all these instances where God makes it so clear that food is not an afterthought, um, I started thinking, wait a minute, am I, am I living in a world where I am thanking God for a palate that loves sweet things and thanking him for the sweet stuff he's given me? You know, we live in a world where some people say, oh, don't eat tomatoes because they have too much sugar in them, but we'll have a, you know, a sports drink that's filled with artificial colors and flavors and sweeteners and, you know, head off to the gym all in the name of health. And, and there was a part of me that just felt like, I don't know that I can reconcile that as a health drink. Something about that felt like maybe um, there's something else that God is saying about food. And so that's, that's what led me to that, um, that exploration that lasted really a couple of years. And it, and it was a very personal, or for me, it seemed like it was a very personal book. Yeah. Uh, a lot of going into places you really didn't have to go to get the story across. Uh, and I know from research outside as well, you uh, me mental health has been a uh, mm -hmm. passion of you yours. Uh, one of the quotes I love, you said, uh, do I dare suggest that connecting with God and people will make you fundamentally at your core happier in life? Yes, I do. I bet anything on that. Uh, if someone was is longing uh, for that, where would you encourage them to begin uh, that process? Yeah, so you're... Uh the chapter about my mom's death and I lost my mom to suicide. And so, um, yeah, so mental health advocacy is something that's uh, important to me. And I'm on the national board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So these issues of emotional and mental health are super important to me. And, um, and I love the quote that you bring up that, um, that connection 
um, connecting to other people and connecting to God, um, but connecting to other other people, staying plugged in is a big protective measure in terms of our emotional and mental health. Now, um, the flip side of that, just to be clear, um, mental health issues can't all be fixed by having friends, and, and that's not what we're saying at all. However, do I think that fundamentally we will uh, feel more value and have a higher level of emotional wellness when we stay connected? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, there's, there's, there's real truth to, you remember the show Cheers, where it says, you know, every, you want to go where everybody knows your name. There is real truth to us finding purpose and meaning in connection and in us mattering to people. So, you know, when we plug into a church or when we plug into a small group or we plug into the PTA at school or other other organizations or groups or friend groups or social organizations, there's there's something to it that somebody turns to us and says, oh, I didn't see you last Tuesday night. Where were you? So plugging in, even though I will confess I'm an introvert, so my my default position is, oh, let me go sit in my bed and um, and just read a book and, and be all by myself. Um, and so for me, I need to um, introvert nature as an excuse to isolate. Um, so finding that balance between honoring my alone time and not isolating is a lifelong daily journey for me um, that involves prayer and discernment and um, and it's just it's just tricky. So all everything that I bring up in that chapter, um, it's all complicated and it's hard and um, but I do think, I really do believe that, and, and it's not just my beliefs, right? Studies are, have shown that being connected um, is a protective measure um, in terms of our mental and emotional well-being. I, I love that because uh, I, I would also uh, be an introvert and uh, that idea that you have to, uh, you need other people, whether you want kind of or not, you have mm-hmm. to balance that and understand uh, when you're just using it as an excuse. Uh, so I love that uh, expression that way. Uh, you talk about uh, that, I just love this phrase, but deep and abiding joy is big enough to house life's sorrows. Uh, mm-hmm. That there, uh, I just love that picture of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about holding joy and sorrow at the same time? Because we sometimes think that's not possible. <sighs> Oh, yes. And, um, and, um, I feel like we're wired so much the same way because you're picking out some of my, um, truest, um, statements that, and as, as they resonate to me, the, the, the statements that resonate perhaps to me as being the most true, um, this idea that, you know, in, in that chapter, I'm talking about really the difference between sort of like small age happiness, like, Oh, I got a parking spot you know, versus deep abiding joy and, um, how, uh, can be a little bit circumstantial. Um, whereas joy is, you know, as Paul talks about finding joy in all circumstances and it's an inside job. And, um, and for me, it is, 
directly related to um, my connection um, with God. And deep abiding joy is that deep, broad sense that that I will be okay. And that doesn't mean that I'm not sad, that but it is a joy that is big enough to house that sadness and have that sadness coexist with a fundamental sense that I'm held by God and it will be okay as much as it all sucks. And by the way, it will be okay is not a, um, I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh, don't worry, it'll all work out or, oh, everything happens for a reason. I don't mean these sort of really casual, um, you know, sayings that we just sort of throw out there. Um, okay, you know, I'm, I, I am loved by God and I matter to God and my value is in, in with God, and 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 that's what's most important. And when we have that, um, we can feel sad at the same time. We can feel joy and sad. I am pretty sure that Paul, when he was imprisoned, um, felt some sadness or frustration, or I'm sure Paul had some negative emotions. Um, and I don't think that's what he's saying is that, oh, I don't have negative emotions. I think what he's saying is he has found the the... The, the recipe to deep abiding joy that can house the sadness, house the negative emotions, and that they can coexist. That uh, there's a theologian, Dallas Willard, who talks about an underlining uh, sense of well-being, uh, even in the mm-hmm. midst of things that are going on. Uh, before you kind of came to that moment of your uh, kind of grace uh, moment that we'll talk about in a moment, but uh, you said there was a 10-year period of navigating your mother's death. Um, if someone was listening to this, and I mean, that's a long period of time, uh, uh, and they may be in you know, everyone's different, so it's not necessarily going to be a 10-year exact thing, for. but they're in some dark place, and maybe they're only at year five. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what encouragement would you give them as they're trying to process life in the, that season that can be very dark? Yeah, so you're, you, you bring up the, the, my 10-year spiritual winter, um, which was 10 years by, not by design. Right. I'm not suggesting take 10 years off. <laughs> that's not it. Uh, it's not a sabbatical from your spiritual life. Um, but that's just how long it took. So I would say a couple of things. One is the really good news is they're all but, um, God being there and being nearby is not dependent upon my ability to feel him. And so looking back, I realized. God was walking alongside me the entire time. I just wasn't wasn't feeling him, and I wasn't open um, to that. Um, so the good news is we can, you know, the the you know the 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 hole in the ground stops when we stop digging, right? Because God is actually there, right? So that's it's it's purely our choice. Um, and and the good news is is that even if we are, you know, sometimes we. Sort of say, yeah, I know it's my choice, but guess what? I don't care. I, I like, I like too bad. I'm too angry. I'm too, um, too whatever. Um, the, the good news is God can, God can take it. God can take it, and um, and still be there. And and even throughout the spiritual winter, you know, I did have 
occasion pray. So I think there was a part of me that sort of thought, I'm really mad and I'm confused, but you know, don't go too far, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, so the good news is my ability to feel God is not what keeps him near. He's near anyway. And the other um, encouragement I would say is, um, you know, sometimes the only way out of something is through it. And so sometimes we just have to walk through things and, and, and I don't understand them. God is um, far bigger and more vast and expansive than any of us could understand. And, and thank goodness, because he has a lot on his plate. And if God were small enough for me to understand him, then he wouldn't be big enough to do what he has to do. So um, sometimes just the only way out is through. And sometimes all we need to do is show up and take another step. Um, the, um, the threshold that the hoop we have to jump through with God is generous. Um, that's my experience. Yeah. He's a good God, whether we feel it, feel it or not at times. <laughs> uh, probably for me, the most powerful, uh, chapter was when you, Talk about your uh, DUI, and since you put it in, <laughs> since you put it in there, but I th just from a theological standpoint, uh, I know you say you, you went, you did some theological studies. Well, it, it paid off in that chapter for sure. I, I, just the depth that I, I saw there, um, but it was such a raw. Uh, so I, I mean, I'd recommend people buying the book just to read that chapter to get the what's there, uh, but. Uh, as much as you know, you know if you, you want, want to give the overview of the scenario, just to give them the taste. But then, what did you learn about God during that time? What was kind of the the big takeaway there? Um, one of the the key moments in my faith. You know, when we look at our faith journey, um, you know, our journeys can often have different um, sort of touch points that sort of morph and change our journey as they go along and change our faith. And so when I look at sort of my faith journey um, over my life, um, this this chapter, um, A Good Recipe Gone Bad, uh, this chapter stands out as one of those turning points because it really does represent um, where that spiritual winter ended. So those lessons I sort of just was talking about that, you know, that God is generous, that God is there and that God is, God was there all along. Those were the very lessons that I learned in that moment where I, um, where I went and was at the impound lot and, and, and I described seeing the car and having that prayer in the impound lot of the Los Angeles, you know, the, <laughs> the Los Angeles, um, uh, police impound lot, which is a, not super delightful place to uh, to spend a Sunday morning. Just a just a, a tip from me to you, <clears throat> but um, but that prayer in that moment um, really was life changing. And you know, when I talk about how I uh, sort of imagine going to God and, and begging for a second chance and feeling the um, feeling simultaneously the um the horrible news of of the reality of our sinful selves um coupled with the awesomeness of god's grace and generosity and the 
um, the wonderful news of the okayness um, in our redemption with him. And, and so all that kind of came one place into one, I won't say moment, but, but one short time period. And, um, and when we really appreciate how much we need God and also appreciate how much grace we get from him, sort of the natural response to that is gratitude. And, and if I'm ever not in gratitude, it's because I've lost track of how much I need God's grace and how much he, grace he has given me. Because if, I, if I'm in touch with that, then sort of what, you know, uh, what, what, what else could I want? And that gratitude um, came out of that, that, an intense gratitude unlike any that I've ever felt. Um, and I want to say perhaps even to this day, uh, because I feel like everything I've had in my life since then has poured out of that that moment, that second chance, that grace. And you know that was twenty some years ago. Um, and I don't think I've woken up by the grace of God. I don't think I've woken up one day since then when I haven't felt profoundly grateful for that very moment. That very moment changed the trajectory of my faith completely, totally and completely. You know, like Paul talks about like being washed clean immediately and how it's immediate and how there's, yeah, it, it was that kind of an experience, that intense and that immediate um, and that remarkable. So um, that gratitude, I have lived in it ever since then. And I remember, um, you know, throughout my life, I've, I've remembered a lot of people bringing up, you know, saying things like, oh, well, you know, you know, oh, you're just always happy or you always, and, and I'm not always happy. Like life isn't always perfect. And trust me, I have, have my, my less happy moments. But I do have to say, I think I've always been grateful since then. I do, by the grace of God, I have not let go of that gratitude. And, um, and that has just been a gift. But I, that's how profound that was. It's not because I'm really good at staying grateful. That's how profound it was. That's how moving that um, that moment was, and how defining that moment was in my faith for the rest of my life. So, um, yeah, not a moment goes by that I'm not, um, not a day goes by that I'm not someone in touch with the profound gratitude um, that came from that day. And you, one of me, for me, probably the. the line from there that stood out as so so we are more flawed than we ever imagined but god's grace is more expansive than we ever imagined it's putting those two it's kind of the the truth of who we are is really we are flawed there is those things we're not i love that you didn't hide that in our day and age that's sometimes like okay let's not talk about that part of it but you take that and say okay no but god's grace is so much bigger than that and i, I love that hey again i we're a prayer ministry and so i have to you, you had a prayer uh, quote so i gotta go to it hey uh, you said without daily vigorous prayer i cannot be counted on to know the difference and you're talking about the half truths of the enemy mm -hmm. uh what 
over the whether uh, today or just kind of looking over the course of your walk with God, uh, what are some of the prayer habits that have helped you? We talked about journal, journaling your prayers. Any other uh, prayer habits that have come come to mind that have helped you stay connected? Yeah, the the habit that most serves me and um, keeps my spiritual space with God is early morning. It there's just that's for me has proven to be the um, the prayer routine that um, that bears the most fruit for me, and it's the one that when I don't have my early morning um, with God, it's um, I feel it. I feel it pretty quickly. And in fact, I even sometimes will say, "Oh, I'm feeling like edgy and cranky and whatever." You know, first thing I think about is what have I what have I been eating? Because how I feel has a lot to do with what I'm eating and putting in my body. So I think, what am I eating? Um, how am I sleeping? Uh, because I I know that I need that to to fortify and fuel. Um, and then I think, have I what 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 has my spiritual practice been looking like? Um, and often, all um, the eating and the you know the sleeping I usually know because you're um, it's, it's not doesn't sneak up on you. You don't. Well, you know, I have been going to bed at two in the morning. Like to me, you know, if you want, you know, you know, if you're tired, you're yawning. But far sneakier is the um, the spiritual habit. Have I been sort of phoning it in? Has it been? Have I really been carving out that space? Um, so for me, it's early morning. That's not for everybody, but it's um, for me. It is, and and I also wrote tasting grace all in the early morning because that's where um that's where i just felt like i could hear god better um and um that even in the mornings that you know i i didn't start out as a morning person i became a morning person um by choice um and so you know there's sometimes i'm like oh you know maybe i'll just roll over but like i like i have this little sense of you know what just just go to the computer, go downstairs, get to the computer, get your coffee, and just ask God to meet you there. My shoulder, like, okay, let's go. Like, it's it's time for our morning time. Let's go. And I'm like, oh no, I'm tired. <laughs> and I'll be like, you know what? Just just show up. I'll be like, oh, I don't feel like I don't feel I don't feel inspired. I don't feel what. That's all right. I don't have to feel smart. I don't have to feel inspired. I don't have to feel good. I don't have to be a good writer. I don't have to be any of those things. I just have to be obedient. I just have to show up. And um, with God, my experience is that if I show up, that's really rewarded. He will He will do so much of the, he will do more than his share. So I just, I just show up. I just show up for it. That's it. I don't have to, I don't have to have it figured out. I just have to show up. And so that's what I do. When I show up for my mornings, um, it's amazing what God does. And I think, yeah, I think God's grace is even in that where the times when we don't want to and we choose anyways, is like, okay, uh, let me let me show up in a bigger way just <laughs> as a gift for that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, now, we've gone through all this and we haven't talked about food other than with my hypothetical uh, person at the beginning. I. But the book is chock full of talking about our relationship with food. Uh, a couple of uh, 
quick on that. Uh, well, quicker questions on my end, not necessarily your answer, but uh, uh, one of the takeaways for uh, me was your uh, reframing your work in the kitchen as creation and worship. Uh, any now beyond adding herbs, uh, but more in the broader <laughs> sense, any advice in order to get better at reframing that when you get to the end of the day and you have to come up with a meal and you're like, I, I, this doesn't feel like worship. This feels like cutting carrots. You know, how do how do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you, is any advice on reconnecting to that? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. This doesn't, it doesn't feel like worship. It feels like cutting carrots. Um, but isn't that, isn't that true that, you know, you know, the saying that, you know, opportunity, um, opportunity strikes and the most people don't recognize it because it shows up looking like work. Um, you know, but that's, it's, it's a little bit the same thing, right? That, um, that worship opportunity shows up, but sometimes it showed up dressed up like, uh, like cutting carrots. Um, so the question is, how do we, how do we find, how do we find God in cutting carrots? Right. Um, so the first thing that I would say about that is, um, and that's really kind of in the theme of leaning into work um, and work being worthy, a worthy use of our time. Um, and we can look at work. Yeah, we sometimes kind of think, oh, I don't want to work, right? Work is bad. Like I, that, uh, I should be finding a way to get around this. Like if any, I should be finding short work um, and not leaning into work. And I think that's part of why I, I wrote Tasting Grace. Work is worthy. Adam was put to work in the garden, and that was before the fall. So work is meant to um, be our best for us, right? God gave us work not as a punishment, but as uh, the best for us. So the tricky thing is then how do we lean into God's best for us, you know, and and. In these invitations, work is one of them. You know, patience is one of them. There are all sorts of things that we tend to not like that we sort of say, oh, well, we shouldn't have to wait. We, there are things we don't want to do that are surrounding food that it turns out are not punishments or things to avoid, but invitations to lean into and allow them to draw us to our maker. So um, what does that mean when you're cutting carrots? Well, you know, just for a moment, maybe it's just taking even a minute or a few seconds just to think about the miracle that is a carrot. And if you don't know that carrots are a miracle, my suggestion is try growing one. <laughs> try growing a carrot um, because, or, or whatever it is, a tomato or even if it's just herbs, right, for your scrambled eggs, um, whatever it is, try growing something. Try, in, like I said, you know, not everyone has to be a, a farmer, but even herbs would help you realize the small miracle that a carrot is. And it makes you appreciate how we can plant and tend and water, but God is the one who does the magic of the transformation of seed to carrot. So when we lean into God, 
that transformation. When we lean into the miracle of soil and the biome that is going on in that soil, when we lean into the patience of it takes a long time to grow a carrot. Um, you know, when we lean into the patience of waiting for a carrot to grow, um, it it reshapes what happens when we walk into a grocery store and we see a bag of carrots for a buck, a pound, and we bring it home and we're like, oh, I gotta cook it. Like we are participating in a miracle um, of patience and of soil and of biomes and this intricate creation story and 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 this food story and by the way carrots are sweet and god wanted us to have sweet things so he gave them to us and gave us a palate with all these taste buds like there's this intricate miracle of we're taking this carrot and if we are not in touch with how miraculous and wonderful that is as we are taking our small part to peel the carrot and chop it, then there, there may be some joy we're missing out on. And, and listen, life is busy. We're not going to be in touch with that miracle all the time, every single second. But there are some things we can do, like grow a carrot, go, you know, do these just moments of appreciation of just stopping and thinking for just a minute about the miracle that is this carrot and the honor it is that we have to get to continue God's work by taking his handiwork and peeling it and slicing it up and then serving it to people we love and transferring that nutrition and that joy and that, that palate pleasing carrot with its little bit of sweetness and that crunch and that color and that little circle inside what's slightly orange and, and then the carrot tops which we could chop up and make into a pesto like the fact that we get to be part of that story is nothing short of a miracle and it's nothing short of an honor so yes every day life is busy and whatever and yeah and i get it but that's that's my hope with Tasting Grace, is that even just cutting up a carrot can just in a small way invite us into that patience, that miracle, that joy, that, that connection, that work, that hospitality. All of those invitations are all right there just in a silly carrot who knew <laughs> I, I love it now, you, I, I, obviously the audience can't see you but you just lit up when you were talking about the the, the carrot there <laughs> and and that's what the heart of the I mean part of the heart of the book is is that connection and uh, now I didn't plan on using carrots and so for me carrots actually uh, 10 years ago my uh, wife's grandparents passed away within 48 hours of each other and I uh, my my her grandmother would always cut up the carrots and make them into small little slices for them to uh, have for you know with dip or whatever and so when they passed away I, I made the commitment to my wife I said uh, I, I will take her place in that and so I it's my job to cut the carrots and so, so every time I cut the carrots I think of that commitment to her to uh. keep that tradition alive of having the uh, the nicely cut uh, carrots so <laughs> and now I have wow a... that's another way it's connecting right? <laughs> right you know we we're connected not just to the people around our table but 
to our relatives, you know, who went before us and to even people we don't know who went before us. But that is beautiful. I love I love that we were talking about cutting carrots and <laughs> you have this amazing connection. Um, that's just beautiful. Right. And now and now I have another now every time I'm going to think about our interview too. So <laughs> that's good. Right. Carrots will take on a whole a whole new meaning for you. Uh, a couple more as we're wrapping up here. Uh, one of the things that kind of jarred me a little bit from uh, you were talking about hospitality and kind of that from a standpoint that you could speak to that probably I can't, uh, how our culture has taken hospitality and kind of uh, using my words now, taking it, taking it off the table because we can't live up to this expectation of the magazines or the Instagram photos and things like that. Uh, but hospitality can be cookies and lemonade uh, for someone. Uh, can, could you give a, a person who's like, okay, I, I want to, maybe a, just a short uh, go get them for a, try hospitality again. Uh, if you want, if they've given up on hospitality, uh, you know, give them some encouragement to say, oh, maybe I should try it one more time. <laughs> that makes sense? Yes, absolutely. Well, um, hospitality has been morphed into performance by our society. And hospitality in the Bible is not performance. It's service and it's welcoming in the stranger. Um, And also in the Bible, nowhere does it say, oh, well, you're supposed to have the gift of hospitality and then you can be hospitable. So um, we are actually called to hospitality um, as 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 a um, as a way of worshiping our God. So I would like to encourage people to uh, be hospitable, um, not because they can show off their cooking skills, but because that's what we're called to do. We're called to welcome in the stranger. Um, hospitality is service and it's welcoming the stranger. It is not performance. And so we can um, dispel this notion that you have to get this, you know, Pinteresty recipe. Um, You do not need to, quote unquote, impress your friends with this recipe. Impressing your friends is the language of separation. And God so clearly uses food to unite. So the if you're if you're looking to show off your cooking skills and impress your friends, that's just not hospitality. That can be a lot of other things. And maybe that's your artwork. And and you know what? Cooking as art is beautiful and wonderful. But don't get that confused with hospitality. Hospitality is not performance. It's um, it's a language of of bringing people together, not separating and making you look good in front of people who come through your front door. That's wonderful. That's, uh, so as as we're wrapping up, uh, I want to give people an opportunity to find out where the. Uh, so where where would you want people to you know pick up their copy of Tasting Grace and also where can they connect with you online and all the uh, wonderful to continue the journey with you? <clears throat> Absolutely, um, the the book Tasting Grace um, is available at melissadarabianbooks.com. Um, where you can get all the information about it and um, you know and, and learn more learn more. Also available at all the places that books are sold, you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, whatever. Um, and I'm at melissadarabian.net. So I'm online there. My recipes are there. Um, and then also I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter all at 
you know, Melissa D. Arabian. So all, Melissa D. Arabian is where you can find me everywhere. <laughs> That's wonderful. And we'll, we'll put it in the show notes as well for people to uh, find that. Uh, well, Perfect. I want to thank you uh, for taking the time today to be with us. Any final sh- shout out before any uh, final shot before we you know, sign off? No, I just want to say thank you so much for, um, for having a space to have this conversation about food. And, and my hope is that this is opening up a conversation admonitions or that we're doing it wrong or that we need to, you know, change the way we, you know, we're eating. It's really about, um, finding the joy that God is giving to us through food and the closeness and drawing closer into God and to each other. Um, and so I think it's really, it's all really good news. My hope is that people will want to eat um, uh, and enjoy food more and enjoy cutting carrots more. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, I better go cut some carrots, I guess. But <laughs> thank, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, God bless you on your journey. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I hope you find one thing, whatever it is that kind of stuck out in your mind, uh, you grab hold of that and say, okay, I'm going to build on this in my relationship with God. Whatever that, you know, even if it's cutting carrots, you're like, I'm going to let God impact my the food that I eat or however uh, that spoke to you, hospitality or uh, even the, the beauty when she's talking about grace, whatever that is, uh, allow that to take you to the next level in your walk with Jesus because that's what this is all about. We want you to go on an adventure with Jesus. He wants to impact every area of your life. if you uh, want to find the show notes there over at enjoyingprayer.org and click on uh, podcast, you'll find all the notes there, how to find her book, things like that. but uh, also subscribe. Now you're like, uh, there were some audio problems, Kevin. Uh, did you realize that? Yes, I realized there were some audio problems, and this is kind of been a recurring thing, but I think I figured it out. So this one, I figured it out. So uh, we should be good going forward, so don't be afraid to subscribe because, again, we want to be on a journey with you, want to encourage you, and so uh, sit, subscribe, share, things like that. Uh, but before you go, let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray for every listener. I pray that you would touch their heart, you touch their mind. I pray that... Uh, even as they're cutting carrots this evening for dinner, Lord, that you would meet with them, you would meet with them on the journey, Lord, that their richness with you would grow into every area of their life. I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. God bless and have a great day.